Welcome to the Modern Work Podcast. I'm Katherine Conaway, and I talk to people about the work they do and how they got there. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm Alanda Brewington, one of the Batuta participants in Remote Year. I'm a software developer uh, with about 20 years experience. been doing it for quite a while. And currently an independent mobile developer. I'm constantly fascinated by the stories I hear from the people I meet while I travel the world working remotely. So I decided to sit them down and press record. One thing I like to say is where we are recording from, which is the very elegant setup of my bed in my little beach cottage in Copenhagen, Thailand. How are you liking this month? I love this place. This is my favorite location so far. It's definitely one of my, it's, you know, it's very different than our city locations, some of which I've really loved, but I mean, the view outside of this room is just gorgeous. Like I sit on that porch and I look at the beach and like, how can, like, it's not my most productive month, but it is, I've, I've been getting work done, but I also, it's just incredibly beautiful and so nice to be here. It is, it's gorgeous. And ironically enough, this is, has been my most productive month. <laughs> I've got more work done this month. I think it's just it lends the relaxed nature of the island mm. and the activities available to me have just made me so much more centered, so much more focused um, that I'm able to sort of compartmentalize my work mm. and everything else. Because when there's a beautiful beach available and there's pools and there's great food and there's Muay Thai, I can do all the things that I love to do and I can settle right back into my work and I'm able to focus and just keep moving. It's, it's wonderful. That's awesome. I may not make the plane on Saturday. <laughs> you, you have to come. You have to finish the last two months with us. Yeah. We've gone through this. <laughs> Speaking a little bit about your personal backstory, just briefly, you know, where are you from? What did you do in, like, you know, school, things like that? Uh, West Philadelphia, born and raised. <laughs> oh, actually, it's only half true. I'm, I am born in West Philadelphia, but I was raised in the South. I'm from Atlanta. That's uh, where my family settled. Uh, briefly lived in Charleston and Goldsboro, North Carolina, which is where I lived most recently uh, before coming on remote year. I uh, went to school in Atlanta, Georgia Tech, Georgia State. I was a computer science major, uh, Southern Poly as well. Did you know when you went into school that you were going to study that? I decided my junior year in high school. Um, I started programming when I was 12. My father bought me a computer. Uh, when I was 12 years old. So I started what writing. What kind of a computer are we talking about? Oh, well, this is an old one. This was a, <laughs> a Tandy TRS MC10. It had 3K of memory, no storage. 3K of memory is not even a word file these days. Yeah, is exactly. Okay. So, and I could, and I couldn't, if I turned it off, I lost all the code. I had no permanent storage because he spent the money on the computer and a black and white television for me to, to hook it up to. So Right, what, because we're talking computer, not monitor. Yes, Got exactly. It. There was no monitor and, again, no cassette drive or anything to, to store. So I would just leave it running and turn the television off. And the first thing that I wrote was a game. I wrote a trivia game. I love trivia still to this day. I love trivia games. I, have, I actually have one in the works for mobile because uh, I love it so much. But, uh, yeah, it just never left me. And, you know, for a long time, I thought I'd be a lawyer, even toyed with that as, re as recently as like five or six years ago. I thought I was going back to law school. But I love computing. I love programming. I love creating. I think it's the creative side of creating software that I really, really love. And it drew me back in mobile. I'd been working in Windows programming, COBOL, mainframes, all this stuff. And I kind of lost a bit of like the, the drive and desire to do it. And then I got an iPhone. And sort of this ability to create these wonderful apps that you can hold in your hand just like drew me back in. Mm. 
That's so cool. So you somehow found out about computers at the age of 12 and got one. Yes. And you made this trivia game and you got hooked and you went to Georgia Tech, studied... What computer did you say? science. Computer I started science. as a computer engineering major. And what is the difference? <laughs> so computer engineering is a lot more electrical engineering. And I thought that I wanted to design like circuits and things like that. Um, but by my second double E lab, I realized that that was not for me. I had a great teacher, Gus Baird, um, he rest in peace, um, who was in the CS department. I went to talk to him one day and he said, son, he said, you should just come over here to the computer science department. You can tailor make your degree, study what you want to study. Um, it's a lot better. And I did a lot better in computer science program. I had more fun. I love programming. And the difference was that I could spend, I spent 11 hours one time trying to get this circuit board uh, working correctly in, in the double E lab. And I was very frustrated. I didn't like it. I spent 11 hours working on code. I enjoyed all of it. It was yeah. so much fun. So I knew it was like, even though it's frustrating, I enjoy this a lot more. This is the direction that I need to go in. I think that's one of the things that is so cool about, I mean, any job that people are passionate about, but I think especially programming, computers, video games, things like that, is that you see how in a very like direct and measurable way, Somebody that gets like, no, 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 yes. And like that reward of yes buys you back in to like an excruciating amount of time of no's. Like I'm always shocked at seeing people play video games because you fail more than, than you don't. And yet we love it. Yeah, and it's, it proves that we aren't just lazy. We do, we are able to recover from failure. We are interested in that trial and error like, how do you take that into other things that people maybe don't like doing as much? I always liking it when people talk about that. I think you're you're making a great point is think about yourself as a child. I watch babies. I love kids like <laughs> and watching them walk. Yeah. Like they make so many mistakes, <laughs> but they're driven. Like I've seen so many babies that are just like they may be driven by the shiny thing across the room or a cookie or whatever. But they have a drive. Right. This is like that's my goal. I need to get over there. Right. And so. No matter how many times they fall down, they get back up and they keep trying they keep until they till they get it. Yeah, that's amazing. I do think that kids are incredibly interesting to watch. I love seeing what they get fascinated by. This is a total tangent, so we're not going to go there. But it's it, it gives you such an interesting perspective because, you know, you'll be walking down the street, like minding your business. And then some kid is just like fascinated by the floor. And you're like, what is it? And you realize there's a really cool bug. And you're like, OK. Great. Like, they pay attention to things in a really, really nice way. I think it's a great segue, though, into creativity, though, because we talk about the things that interest us. And sometimes we have to go back that far or at least see that to get some insight into, like, someone's artistic uh, drive and saying, like, hey, what made you want to do uh, chalk painting? Or, you know, why are you so fascinated with flowers or landscapes or any anything, right? You just see, like... We just have something in us that we've, you know, that's been there since we were children that just fascinates us and we want to explore it. And the outside world, you know, may say like when we get older, we get all this stuff taught out of us mm. that, you know, we sometimes have to go back and rediscover to say, hey, there's real beauty in, in some of the simplistic things that we really love and enjoy. And you can even build a life around it. Right. I think people sometimes we when we talk about work, we're so influenced by sort of these standards that are sort of given to us about work is what work is supposed to be. And I look out here in the, this beautiful water and I watch these fishermen go out in the morning and just wait out in the water and then just capture fish. They're not thinking about reports. They're not thinking about meetings, 
quarterly gains or any of these things that sometimes you gotta get drawn into. It's like, oh, I wonder, wonder what my, my social media status is. No, they get to catch the fish. Like I, I go out here, I get the fish, I put them in the thing, I, I bring them out. Very simple. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think that if we embrace sometimes the simplicity of the work that we do, it would make it a lot easier. Yeah. I'm reading, there's, so the remote nation, which is all of the remote year programs, Not we're on one remote year program together. We will get into that later. Um, but there's the remote nation, which is all of the programs. And we have a book club that has started. So every month we're reading a book and then we get together. Actually, tomorrow night will be the first one to talk about it. And this month is Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. Oh, cool. Um, which I don't think I'd heard of the book previously, but I'm halfway through and it's really good. And one thing that's interesting is that she comes back. Obviously, she's a very good storyteller. Um, she's a creator of Grey's Anatomy and Scandal and How to Get Away with Murder. But she talks about how since she was a child, her absolute favorite thing is to, was to sit in the pantry and like create stories using like canned foods and other things. And her mom would just let her sit in the pantry and like create her little world and have these actions happen. She's like, today, when I have a blank whiteboard to create an episode, I'm back in the pantry. I'm creating a little world. Like I'm doing the thing that I love to do and I feel most at home doing. And it kind of has gotten me thinking over the past few days of reading it. Like, what was my pantry as a little kid? Like, what was that thing that you would go home and do for hours and just play? What did you play at? And like, I trivia actually, and games? I have that. <laughs> no, actually, so my cousin and I, we used to spend our summers together in North Carolina. And was very similar, similar to what Shonda Rhimes did. We used to play, we'd create these worlds and play like these, like, um, we would create like a world of, with characters. But we didn't have, like, action figures or anything, cars, things like that. This, this, this stuff cost too much. We used safety pins and, like, little things that we'd find in my grandma's bathroom, like, you know, bobbits and <laughs> yeah. things like that. And it was incredibly creative. And it was two-dimensional because we would play on the floor. So the world was just on the X and Y axis. So it was almost like the old video games, like, like you know, like Super Mario. You're just playing. It, wasn't three, it wasn't 3D. Yeah. And as soon as you said that, that's what it took me back to. It's like, Wow we used to create all these stories in these worlds and it's just like these characters had lives like we would leave the pieces like oh they're asleep now we're gonna come back tomorrow <laughs> we'll start another day so just that tapping back into that creative process and being able to uh just realize that it's pretty amazing i i, I now i'm curious i want to read the book you i'm not in the, the club yet but i you definitely should, it's available to anybody to join and or if you just want to read it for fun okay um yeah, it's it's been a really nice book to read. It's not super complicated. It's somewhat inspiring. It's just kind of her story paired with advice uh, about saying yes um, to different things in, a, in an interesting way. But but I think I think it's not. I mean, not everybody is blessed to be able to do a super creative job hmm. and find a lifestyle that works that way. That's just as a side rant. Something that drives me crazy. People talk about digital nomads. Like, anyone can do it. I'm like, not anyone can do it. Many people can do it. But there are people who have to stay at home, who have certain jobs are in person. Like, life is complicated. However, there are so many more ways to be creative about what you're doing and how you're living than what we think and what those standards of, like, work and life seem to be. It's, like, actually really flexible. Yeah, I would definitely, like, I understand where you're coming from when you say that, when you say um, that everyone can't do something or, like, it's not available. I kind of, I take that to a certain degree, but also I know that, like, for those jobs that were supposedly, like, people have to do, it's like, you can get fired from those jobs. So 
I draw a limit on the limits of what can and can't be done. It's like, if I can be fired, then yes, I can also go out and do these other things. These things right. can be for me as well. Right. Uh, because you, I've been painted in those corners before. I used to pick tobacco when I was younger. And so those jobs are like, if I could pick tobacco, then I can do this. Mm. You know, kind of thing. It's like, it's maybe getting from point A to, to, to Z is a little bit tougher depending on where you're coming from. Because, I mean, I was definitely fortunate enough that I had people around who were able to show me what was possible. And even before the age of the Internet, access to like the library, which I still think are, are vitally important. And I make sure people always understand that everybody doesn't have the Internet in their home. It support and fund your local public libraries, please. I'm a big advocate for that because it's a, it's a lifeblood for a lot of communities. And that's how they access information. That's how they're able to see something bigger than the community that they grew up in. Um, but saying all that is just saying I was able to have people who were extended what was possible my father was never one that said like oh you know this isn't possible you can't do that he's basically like no you can go out and do it it's like he always has the question of how (laughs) how are you going to do it but you can do these things Mm. yeah i mean i i agree with what you're saying and i definitely have had experiences where like i started off waitressing bunches of times i used that to make the money to get unpaid jobs like you know and people are gonna have to serve food forever and yeah but maybe not looking at as your forever career but is this a stepping point into something else? And you do that in-person job, and later you maybe get to do something else like travel. I agree. So coming back to you and your life, mm-hmm. you've now studied computer science. Mm-hmm. You're out in the world. What, is, what happens? So I uh, worked a few jobs. Actually, some before I finished school were in, I did a lot of tech support jobs. I worked for restaurants. I did a lot of phone support and like even sales on the phones. I sold vacuum cleaners at one point too. Um, people look at the, the the current economy with digital jobs and especially with computing and they're like, oh, I mean, there's jobs everywhere. But no, in the 90s, that was not the case. I mean, it was really, really hard that there was no tech boom. This was before the dot-com boom. And uh, so there weren't as many jobs. So it was like you find other things to do until you could work your way into a position, which is exactly what I did. For years, and then by '99, of course, now we're full into the dot-com boom. I got a job at a dot-com, was working on apartmentguide.com, which was a pretty popular website at the time. It was me and a couple of a couple of other developers. It was like maybe four or five of us that were just like literally like working like crazy um, to get this site up and built, and it was a lot of fun. So it was before it existed, you were making it. Well, there was an old version that was really really bad. It was just like, and apologies to Ed, um, <laughs> he knows it. Uh, that was super slow, but it was statically generated. So they would create these pages that people could go to on the web. And what we did was we came in and created a more dynamic version so we could change the contents. Like, say the apartment has a special, or they've got new listings and these things like that. We could get those things up so people could search and find them very quickly. And so I worked, I was a database developer then. Um, so what I did was I worked on all the back end stuff, making sure all the data was available, making sure it was as fast as possible. And then on the Windows side, because I did Windows programming, I built the client for the staff to load all that apartment data. And so they had a nice GUI interface so they could load all the new apartment data, make all the changes. And then it would all get processed to create these beautiful web pages with pictures that, you know, back then didn't load as quickly as they do now because, you know, we were still... But we had patience. You had to have Nothing loaded. Yeah, you had to have patience. You had to do other things, right? Because you're (laughs) waiting for, like, the the images to load. And so, yeah, absolutely. I'm old enough that I had, like, the AOL dial-in. Like, I understand patience in the internet a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, and we we did. Actually, we would test with things like AOL and and accounts and things like that because those were our users. Um, You know, nobody had phone. There were no 
mobile phones back then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The idea that you could have a phone that does yeah. what it does today is, like, laughable. Yeah. Back, you know, I remember looking up directions on MapQuest and printing them out and yes. taking the printed MapQuest yes. in my car when I learned to drive <laughs> and just being like, the age of technology, yeah. like, this map is available exactly. that takes me, to, you know, I have, like, the turn-by-turn, turn, like, my sister's navigating. Like, it's a whole different... Whole different set of games. Yeah, this is Star Trek now compared <laughs> to that. <right? laughs> I remember I moved back from abroad and I got an iPhone like years after everybody else, and I just was like, "What is this yeah. magical device?" Yeah. So funny. So then, how did you? Because now you're an app developer. Yes. So how did you go from that to app development? So for years, I did um, basically Windows and web programming. So that was pretty much what was available. Um, I did a lot of. I kind of gotten into like a specialty with Windows. So I was doing like .NET when that came out, but I was doing the predecessor to that as well. Um, still doing database programming because that paid really well and could easily get jobs doing like other... And, and you're in Atlanta. Yes, this is Atlanta. So it's like Atlanta's... The IT job market in Atlanta's been really, really good for mostly... Even during some of the downturns, like it was still possible to find work there. So getting work wasn't terribly difficult, especially if you're sort of connected in with the community. And I think that's another important thing that people don't do. I know so many people that I've worked with in my career in IT that are really what I would call paycheck players. You know, they show up, they go to work, that's it. They do their job, they go home. And yes, people have families and I understand all that. You've got other obligations and things. But then those are the very same people who struggle a lot of times when it's time to transition. They're like, well, I don't know anybody. And I don't, you know, how do I get another job? And they're starting all over again. And they're not even using, they're not leveraging the network of people that they've worked with and other people in the community. It's easier now because now we have things like Meetup and, and all these different groups that you can you can. But you have. still have to do it. But you still have to do it. You right. still have to make an effort. And like I, having an account doesn't solve no. the problem. But also, like, I'm a big fan of telling people, get out. Like, physically, like, yes, you're married. Yes, you have kids. But once a week, come to a meetup. Come and meet people. Shake their hands. Get to know somebody outside of just the workplace. You'll be surprised at the, the way that it benefits you. Not just in finding a job. It's just like you can share your experiences with people. I have friends that I can say now. It's like, oh, I'm having this problem with this new framework I'm trying to use, or you know, they they ask me and I can help them, or you know, sometimes it's just like you just want an ear. Like, oh man, I'm really just tired of you know writing. Probably have to write one more line of JavaScript code. It's like, yeah, I know what you mean. It was just like a, a someone to commiserate with. Even I think that's uh, one of the great things about remote ear. Not that it's the only solution to this problem, but it's one of the rare opportunities in life because unlike graduate school or a job, you don't have a super common thread. Like the group really is only united by the fact that we decided to come on this trip, mm -hmm. but there's totally different jobs. People are from different places. We're different ages. So it's across the board, like who you end up with in your community. And what that means is whether it's talking about a professional thing or a personal thing, if I sit down to talk to somebody about it or I'm thinking about something a lot, like, oh, I want to know about apps, or I want to know about marketing, or I want to talk to somebody about blogging, or I'm curious about photography, or I've never been to this country. Like, whatever the thing is, you now have people to talk to. And that network of my life, I mean, already is big because I'm all over the place. But Remote Year has now added 75 people, at least, to connect me to all sorts of different jobs and industries and experiences. And when you reach out to people with questions, like... It's just incredible what you can get from that, not just somebody who's in your same company mm -hmm. or your same bubble. True. Like, I mean, I've gotten in the group everything from wonderful side trips to do, great places to get coffee, you know, just so many things. Uh, and just a, like you said, just sometimes just sharing experience with people and, and having 
someone that can listen and understands like you know there's, there's stresses to traveling as well like this right and so having other people who understand what that's like it's also very very helpful but you have to step out and, and engage people and still even in this group you have to yeah. make an effort to meet and talk and I think it's important to do that I think it's important wherever you are to do right that. yeah exactly I think I think that's the biggest takeaway is whether you're doing something crazy like committing to remote year and traveling the world for a year or just like joining something once a week in your community like finding opportunities to meet different people it can lead to so many I mean god every every amazing thing in my life has come about because somebody told me about it not because I figured out by myself so yeah you were saying how you moved into apps so I got into apps after I had um, been working I was doing some contract work again Windows programming for the public school system in Atlanta so I was a contractor there for a number of years and there was a transition. There's a new CTO came on board and I was really interested. I'd gotten a phone. I got an iPhone because my friend got one and I went to his house and he was doing a demo. And I was like, oh, this is incredible. You know, it's like a touch interface. Like there are, no, there are no physical buttons on this thing. And so I bought, I went out and bought three books on building iOS apps. I rented a cabin in like West Georgia and stayed there for like, three or four days, just reading and trying to create my first app. And what I ended up doing was, because I was able and willing to go out and meet people, I reconnected with a friend of mine who I worked with at Apartment Guide 10 years before that. I, they were doing a conference. I went to the conference. It was about mobile app development. I volunteered to work on the conference app. So I was like, hey, I'd like to get some experience on an actual app that people were going to use out here, not just something that was going to run on my uh, laptop. So he saw that I was making contributions to the project. He said, oh, I didn't realize you were interested in mobile app development. I've got this team and we're working on this medical app. Would you like to join the team? And I was like, yes, I would love to join the team. So then I left the contract and started doing and we were independent remote workers. So what year is this? This is 2010. OK, I had done remote work before then, though, in 2002. Mm -hmm. So just uh, just an aside, like. I was doing it before Tim Ferriss. I had a four-hour work week before Tim Ferriss had a four-hour work week. <laughs> I just missed out on the opportunity to write a book and do all this other stuff. So far, I feel like you do need to write a book. There's a lot going on here. but It was an incredible time. So we were working on um, a project. Our client was local in Atlanta, but we didn't work on site with them. We'd occasionally go to their office, maybe and have like a meeting or two. But we had a co-working space in Atlanta um, that we would work in and... Um, we stayed there most of the time, but then occasionally like we might work from somewhere else as well. So that was when I got my real first taste of remote work as a team. Mm -hmm. uh, before like the 2002 experience, I was by myself. I had my own laptop. I was just running reports and then shipping them back over via email. So that wasn't quite the same thing as like being actively working on a project, moving code around, having to work with other people who may or may not be physically in the same building with me at the time. So that was a great start um, to this process of working remotely and I hadn't looked back. I've only had remote jobs since then. So I've been at this for six years. It's been great. That's awesome. And were you at that job until you came on remote year? We were just contractors. Like we just worked on that project. That project lasted for, I want to say a year or so. And then we picked up a second one uh, after that. And that one lasted for a few months. That one didn't go as well. Um, we worked on it for a while and they decided to go in a different direction. Ironically enough, I ended up working for them this year and last year, actually last two and a half years. Uh, so everything comes full circle in a lot of ways. So I just kind of continued the independent contracting uh, route. 
until I went back to Apartment Guide when they wanted their their mobile app rewritten. And so I went to work for them for about nine months working on that again remotely. I thought it was going to be an on-site job because I first came on board looking to get away from remote because I missed being around people. And about three months in, they said, oh, well, we're, we're going to transition to remote work for everybody. And then I, there I was. So I had three months working in Norcross with them in Georgia. And then I was back in uh, North Carolina again, like and the teams like spread out. So I did that for a while. And then I tried my hand at independent app development. So I spent about I left that job to go do that. My cousins I have a lot of attorneys in my family. And so my cousin convinced me that if I wrote this case management software application, he's like, you could just make a fortune. And I said, oh, really? This is a great idea. And so we sat down, we talked a little bit about what was needed, and I started working. So I quit my job. I didn't have a lot of capital, so I didn't have a lot of runway. So I just decided I'm just going to do this. I got so excited about it because he kept telling me how much he, I could charge for it. Oh, I'd easily pay $100 for this. And that was a trap. <laughs> so I started working on it, and I didn't think about it fully, like in terms of as a business. The, the development time, marketing time, waiting. It's going to take some time for the revenue to start flowing in. So I basically just burned through all the money that I had and I had to go back to work again. So I was looking for um, another job. And um, so fortunately, though, I did build a couple other apps that were in the store. So at that time, I had like four of my own apps in the store. And one of those apps was a tryout app for sports teams. And that's how I discovered the company TeamSnap that I worked for up until uh, April of this year. Uh, for the last three years, I worked for them. And we're in the same space. And I love that idea. And I happened to meet by going to a meetup, the only the, uh, iOS developer that they had, Jason. And so we started talking. And at first, we were just talking about remote work because we were both. TeamSnap is a remote company, a completely remote outfit. And I was working remotely. And we were one of the few people in that local developer group that were working remotely. So he could understand what I was going through and vice versa. We talk about practices and like, well, how do you, how do you set up your space? And how do you deal with like, you know, maybe going from Starbucks to this or from this place to that, you know, you can't work in the house because sometimes it's just distracting because you're home. And so we talked about a lot of that. Plus like just team oriented things. Cause when I was at apartment guide, I was, a, I had a team of a couple of junior developers under me. And so um, it was just helping him kind of work that out. And that's how I joined that company. And I, the, amazing company worked for three years uh, employees everywhere in fact i just met up with one of the former teammates in zagreb because that's where she lives she lives two hours outside of the city so funny yeah um so you were working with team snap as their ios developer yeah one of their one of, one of, one of yeah. their mm -hmm. developers and You'd already been remote. So how did you find out about remote? How did this happen in your life? So I, I came across an article, I think it was in Business Insider, mm -hmm. um, that talked about uh, the ability to travel and work for a year. And, and uh, I think it was, they were doing the pub for the first group. for the. That may have been the same article I read. <laughs> I think a lot of people <laughs> came across that article. And so I was really interested in it. Um, and I wanted to do the first group. In fact, one of the other... Um, iOS developers that on my team also wanted to do it. Um, I didn't realize he had applied as well. We talked about it later. Um, he went a different route with remote working and living, which is amazing in its own right. Um, and I just, so, but at the time I was actually still in North Carolina and I had a house. 
still, which I still have, I'm trying to get rid of. Um, if anybody wants a house. Yeah, if anybody wants to buy a house. Uh, it's a wonderful little town, and it's not affected by the floods at all. Um, but my nephews were living with me at the time, so I was a full-time dad at, at you know, it was kind of Uncle Dad, like this old, like, so, <laughs> Uncle Michael Dad. And so, so I couldn't go. Um, but they finished the school year, and then they were able to go back home because um, my sister moved and just wanted to take them out of school at that time. Then once they were gone, I was like, oh, okay, I can do this now. And I got an email like, oh, we're doing a second group. There's going to be a second remote year uh, uh, program. So I said, oh, I'm jumping on board now. I'm ready to do this. Right. And so Because I, you are already remote yes. and you were looking for a community yeah. and you're interested in traveling. And yeah. That- yeah, I wanted to travel with a group. I'd done a lot of travel by myself. Like mm-hmm. almost all the travel I had done with the exception of like a two-week trip in grad school, I've always done by myself with zero itinerary. Like I will buy a plane ticket, have no idea where I'm staying, no idea what I'm doing, just like I'm going. And then it's like I'll figure it out when I get there. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. And I kind of grew out of the crazy phase of my <laughs> life where I'm like, it's nice to actually know where I'm going to sleep tonight. You know? <laughs> so it was. And I, now we have Jason. Yes. To be like, Jason, where are like, we sleeping? Yes, I don't have to worry about it. Which <laughs> I love. Bless his about heart. It. Absolutely. It's a lifesaver <laughs> this year because I'm like, the idea of like, Having this itinerary, these amazing, I looked at these places and I was like, oh, this is incredible. You mean I'm going to go to three different continents and I'm going to see all these cities and they're very different, big cities and small places and just a great mix of cultures. And so I was super excited about it. I was ready to start traveling again. And so I applied and interviewed and got accepted and didn't look back. I think it's interesting because obviously our age range is something like 23 to 65. Um it's like some outliers there, but I've found in my conversations with people, of course, nothing holds true for everybody, but the people who have traveled more on their own in various, whatever format that is, traveling and living abroad prior to remote year tend to appreciate and enjoy remote year more as a company and offering and tend to say, oh, this is a really good value for my money. I am definitely getting the like planning and events and networking and whatever that I was looking for. Because when you do it by yourself, you realize what a tremendous hassle it is and how lonely it is and how much extra work it takes to plan anything. And now we just show up to a place and I click through an email, sign up on Eventbrite. And now I'm suddenly meeting locals for dinner. I'm going to a temple. I'm doing this. It took me 15 minutes and like $45. And like, I don't have to do anything. And I had this lovely place that it took me no effort to reserve. And it's not to say that people who haven't traveled can't come on a remote year and enjoy it and appreciate it. But I think, like with anything, like the reference you have really can make a difference. And um, it makes sense that having traveled alone a lot, you can come into this and say, oh, it's really nice. And working remotely by yourself. Yes. Means that the idea of being not only with our group, but in co-working spaces that we're in yeah. some months can be really nice. Yeah, I think that's the, the other thing that I really like. I love co-working spaces to the point that I actually, before I came on remote year, I was actually planning to create one in the town in North Carolina. Um, I found a building. I had already sketched out plans. I had a layout. I was about to just start to get, start to get the building and get people to work on it. Uh, it was like a nine-month to one-year plan to get everything done. Uh, and so it was two different directions that I was going to go in. I was either going to double down on living in one place or I was going to start this life of, you know, traveling and living, you know, the way that I really wanted to live. And I, I firmly believe I made the right choice. 
I love co-working spaces. I've, I've been um, to I've been a member at some wonderful places. Um, Iron Yard, Strongbox West in Atlanta, um, Synergia here in uh, Uruguay, Beach Hub here in Kofangang, uh, which is amazing. So there's like great working space. K10 in Prague also. Let me give it. Love it. Wonderful places. So <laughs> it's like when you connect with these wonderful places to work and they make it easier for you to focus on the work in the similar way that remote year makes it easier for me to focus on the work, not have to worry about the logistics of travel. I think it just gives you that mental space to focus on the things that you want to focus on. Um, ironically enough, I spent most of this year focusing on not focusing on anything, but that's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So so you were working for Team Snap. You came up. We started remote year February 1st in South America. And you had this job, you said, through April. Yes. So, I mean, basically it boils down to, I was in a situation where when I joined Remote Year, I had a plan. I talked to the company. They had no problems with me traveling because, you know, we again, we were a remote company. Uh, I said, well, I'm going to do this. I'll come back, uh, have a house, and then I'll open the co-working space. That was the original plan when I left to go to Uruguay. A couple of months in, I realized like how much I miss traveling and how much I miss being abroad and decided like, I don't want to go back. I remember we took a side trip to Lake Titicaca and I was um, out, it was dark. It was like on this little island, no electricity, street lights or anything. I, I just wake up in the middle of the night and I stand on the lake. It's nothing but little chickens and pigs like walking around. And I realized I'm like, I don't want to stay there anymore. And I don't want to go back to work. And so I was like, okay, I need to make a change. So it took a bit longer, but by the end of April, I had left the job and I knew I didn't want to live in my house anymore. I wanted to sell it. So I went back home during the summer, started making, I started selling all. You tried to quit. Yeah. I tried remote to, year. I did try to quit remote year as well. Because <laughs> we I had thought, a dinner and argued with you. <laughs> I thought I thought it's in addition to quitting my job and selling the house, I was gonna quit remote year and just go like live. Um, but I was talked out of the, the, the final part by so many people. It's like, are you crazy? You can't leave. And I went back to the States when I came back to sell my stuff, because I was committed to that part. I Would was, you this is like crazy week? Yeah, it was. going back. Yeah, I sold everything: my car, <laughs> washing machines, my books, clothes. Like I gave a bunch of stuff away, but I realized after forty-eight hours, I was home for forty-eight hours, and I missed everyone. And I was like, I've got to get back. Like I was like, quitting remote year was a huge mistake. Like that's not what I really wanted to do. I wanted to finish. I even had a friend there who told me she said, "Me now, she's like, why are why are you stopping? Like." Yeah. You need to, it's like you started this journey. You should like, go back and finish. And I think that a lot of people, whether it's remote year or anything else in life, like you get to a point where it's hard, you're confused, something isn't right in your life. Mm-hmm. And like, by all means, like if you know something is not right, leave mm-hmm. it. Whether that's a job, a relationship, a city, a program, yeah. fine. However, I think too often we're like, something's not right. <laughs> we're just like, quit it all. <laughs> and... You know, I, I really feel like if people, for remote years as an example, are thinking about leaving, it's mm. like, take a side trip alone for a week. Go home. Do Separate yourself a little bit. Yeah. And does that perspective give you any kind of gut check indication? Like, is getting rid of that the solution or not? Because I've definitely talked to people who've quit mm-hmm. and tried to do it by themselves. And I'm like, oh, no, this is not fun. This is so much more work. I miss the community. And some people are happy with it and it's the right move. But 
you know, like you, I feel like we need to test things out more before we say, oh, I definitely know this is the piece because we're all not, most people's lives not perfect. Most of us have something that we're like, I need to tweak some stuff before this feels right. You know, my job, my work, where I am, like, you know, this is, it's very normal to be kind of dissatisfied with things and be trying to solve that problem. I think that's why I needed to let all the things go and do the sabbatical. I'm not even saying I wouldn't go back to Team Snap because I've had that conversation a few times because um, I love it. It's the best job I've ever had. Great group of people. Love working with them. Miss them. But I needed to separate myself from everything. I even stopped programming. Like, I did absolutely no coding for months. Like, I just stopped. When we got to, by the time we You're got You're on to, Team Hangout. Exactly. I, I was president. I took over from Kurt. And, like, I just, like, <laughs> I was just enjoying, you know, all the local beverages and just a lot of free time. Um, and it was important for me, though, because... I needed a break. I really needed a recharge in a way that I had never done. I was never a big vacation person. I never took like a lot of time off from jobs. I would even, even when I quit jobs, a lot of times people would leave a job and then it would leave like a little buffer before they started a new job. My last day on most of my jobs would be Friday and then start on Monday at the new job. I was just always like gung-ho about going to work. And I never took a break though. I never took some time to sort of get back and say, I've been doing this for so many years. Is this really what I still want to do? Do I still have the same level of passion for it? Because I was burnt out and it was affecting my work. It was affecting my mood. And I really needed to take a big, big step back. And I think by doing that, I got a lot of clarity on the things in my life that were no longer important to me. He's right. like, oh, yes, I had this thing. And yes, it served its purpose. And I did love it. It's like that house. The house had meaning to me. It doesn't have the same meaning anymore. Like living in that town doesn't have the same meaning anymore. It meant something when I went there. I had a purpose. But I think that it's like leaving Atlanta. It's my hometown. I love that city. I don't know if I can live there anymore. It's just like it was time for me to move on. Right. I mean, I think that I remember in whatever intro economics course, like talking about sunk costs Mm -hmm. and how bad humans are at like grasping the concept that like that investment has been made. That time has been spent. It is done. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you should continue with it. It doesn't mean it was bad, but it doesn't mean you should continue. And I try to like drill. I remember my professor saying, trying to like drill it into my own brain, being like, understand this later. Just because you've been with this person or in this job or in this city for X years does not mean it is the thing you continue to do. It is very hard to make that shift. Um, But I think it's a really important thing to remember and, and not to say, like, because I'm now doing something different, that thing doesn't matter or it's bad. Just, like, it is what it is. It happened. I appreciate it. But it's not the thing for now and moving forward. Yeah, I think it's definitely made more difficult by just the inertia of, like, the change. Yeah. You're so used to being in that situation. There's a lot of emotion involved, especially if it's a relationship. But it can be even if it's a home or a city you live in. Absolutely. There's a lot of attachment to it. Um, and so for me, this year has really been about sort of resetting the table, cleaning the palette, and just saying, like, okay, I've got this new blank canvas to work on. What do I want to do? What do I want the rest of my life to look like? Maybe not even putting that much pressure. What do I want the next two or three years of my life to look like? Yeah. I can always go back and buy a house. I can always go back and live in these towns. Like, the, those cities aren't going anywhere. Right. You know, they're right. still, I, I'm pretty sure they'll be selling houses in two or three years if I decide <laughs> to go back and settle down. Yeah. But I knew that, that, I loved traveling. It was something that I missed so much. Yeah. And I, it was definitely reinforced this year by moving around and traveling. I saw it. Like, every time I get to a city, the excitement, just, like, the new smells and just, like, the new sights and the new languages. I love not hearing English. Yeah. Like I 
absolutely love it. It's like, a it's funny because you say like trivia. Mm-hmm. I'm very much. I feel like that puzzle mind is the yeah. same way. Like I hear a new language, and my brain is. It's why I'm tired all the time when I'm traveling. But it's a my brain is constantly playing this game and playing this puzzle and thinking, okay, here's this pattern of speech. Mm-hmm. We say this, then this thing means this. So this part of the word must mean this. Yes. And you just you play that all day and it's like, how am I gonna order food? Ooh. Yeah. Like suddenly yeah. like I want pasta becomes an exciting adventure. Absolutely. <laughs> like, it takes the most routine things and it adds just like another level of excitement and interest to them. Yeah, you're putting like a filter or like a lens on routine, like yeah. I'm going to the grocery store. It becomes like adventure. How do I buy toilet paper? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) What am I going to come home with? Maybe nothing. (laughs) I've done that where I bought some things in stores. Like it happened, I think, in uh, Serbia. It's like it looked on the label. There's like a picture yeah, that the looks picture, right. I was like, oh, this looks right. And then I get home, I'm like, oh, no, no, this is, this is not at all. <laughs> You're like, I thought it was this soap. Yeah, it is this yeah, completely yeah. different thing, but there was a happy baby. Yeah. So, it's like, this isn't body wash. This is like some kind of like facial cream or something. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's so true. So, you had your blank canvas, but now you are working on something. Yes. Yeah, so, um, this month uh, on this island, like, just getting away from everything. I also reconnected with some things that I hadn't done in a long time that I really love. And one was Muay Thai. It was martial arts. I hadn't done martial arts like as a daily practice in years. Like I was boxing a bit, I have a heavy bag at home and things like that, but I wasn't training with other people. It's just kind of doing my own thing. And Alondo's miss- in very good shape. We'll just- <laughs> he <laughs> does you. some free boxing for our group. We get to punch him. <laughs> He's, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, this is a thing that you do. And it's fun, though. I mean, I enjoy sharing that. Like, I had, like, Anton at the beginning of the year, we were boxing and things like that. But I really enjoy I wish I'd opened it up to the group sooner and done more because I love the community aspect of it. Um, but I wasn't practicing myself the way that I used to. I wasn't being pushed. And having it as a part of my daily practice and writing is the second thing. Um, those two things doing frequently and making them a part of my practice kind of help recenter me because I'm starting again like I've gotten rid of the job I'm not home I can be whoever I want to be it's like well now what do I want to do and I'm sort of restarting this construction of me of this identity and those things help because those are things that are like I knew that like I always loved like they have not the love of those things has never left me so it was once I started doing that I could go back to computing and I looked at development and I really just liked it again it took me back to when i was younger it's like well i want to create some new things i want to make something new and i'm working in a new language i mean so like that's another nice exciting thing because i'm expressing myself in a different way each computer programming language what language are you in now i'm using swift now i was writing in objective c before um mostly and so i did a little bit at the beginning is swift something that is because it's apps or because of just what you're trying to do? Well, so to write apps for the iOS platform, you can use either of those two languages because those are both languages that are used um, to develop with. Swift is a newer language. It's only been around for about three years um, that Apple created. and uh, But it's, its use is growing outside of just creating apps. It's just a nice new language. And it's a definitely a different way of thinking. It combines a lot of aspects of some other languages that are popular, more modern. It's Objective-C was the old language, and it's not that modern, it's, it's pretty old. It's been around for like 25, 30 years. And, um, but this one's different because you have to think a little bit differently and you can express yourself, and it's a lot more concise. So it's not as verbose, um, and I like that as well. And so all of this sort of new discovery or rediscovery, for me, it's been 
very positive and very productive. So I've been working on a couple of rewriting old apps that I had in the store. Like I've got two that are still on sale that I'm rewriting in Swift. And then I have about three or four new ones that I'm working on. Wow. Yeah. So, but I'm on fire this month. Like I am really like, in fact, I was in a workspace uh, this weekend and I met someone else that works there. They had this idea for this meditation app they had been working on and they demoed it to me and I looked at it and we started talking about it. And just the old spark of me just came. It's like, you know what? Just give me a couple of days. Let me just write this thing for you and just give it to you. And like, so I'm almost done now. I've got like one more feature to put in and then like tomorrow I'll give it to him. Just like, here, have at it. Wow. Just because I wanted to work on something different. It's like, I, I, you know, we talked about like, you know, he doesn't have a budget. I knew I was, I knew like, like, don't worry about that part. Like, I just want to work on something. Like, just let me like, just play around with this thing. And that sort of like the Shonda Rhimes in the pantry you know, kind of thing. It took me back to that. I was back to being 12 in my bedroom with this trash MC10, you know, <laughs> like writing something and just being excited I'm about cry. it. I'm It's so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a sap, but I love it. <laughs> and that's why this month has been like, it's month 10 and it's just been the best, the best, which is, I mean, saying a lot that this is the best month of remote year. And I've had some amazing months. Yeah. That this is still like my favorite month. It's just been, I think because personally it's allowed me to just like, I think I'm a Wando again. Uh, I think it's funny because people say like, oh, what's your favorite month of remote year? And I'm like, are you asking where I recommend you should travel to? Because that's a very different question than what are, what are my favorite months? Honestly, the favorite months I've had of remote year are ones that have components of like a really good personal or social thing and maybe like a city or setting that I really loved, but also a month where I felt really productive. Like as much as being on vacation is a cool idea, that's not what we're doing, first of all. And second of all, I think humans like to be productive. Yes. Like we don't actually like to just sit around and do nothing. We feel terrible about ourselves at a certain point. At a certain point, yes. No, I mean like it's important and it's yeah. good and like it can be a good, like you said, break between things. But at a certain point, like we get fulfillment. Yes. We get joy from like doing something productive, even not necessarily for money, yes. just being productive. No, yeah, I and, agree. Um, and I think it's really interesting because if I like some of my favorite months are months where I can look back and say, I got a lot done. I had these projects for work. I was writing a lot on my blog. I started recording my podcast, like whatever the thing is. If it was a month where I was into it and doing my thing, it was a great month of remote year. Mm. Kind of related to the city, mm. mostly related to what I was doing. Okay. No, it makes sense. I mean, it definitely, I remember like Paris weekend, we were there. That was like. <laughs> that was amazing. That was amazing. I'm like, I still, I, I, I kept that picture, the cafe we did. Which yeah. was awesome. Still. <laughs> Probably my favorite picture this year. <laughs> it was my banner for a while on my profile until like two days ago. And even then I was like, do I really want to take this down? I love this photo. It was just like, it just captured us as like, as a group, but then also individually, you could see like those poses were so fitting. It's like, oh yeah, that's, that's Naraj. That's, that's been like, it just, it was so cool to see. And it was just so fun to be a part of that experience, to have that time in that city. And that was even as a smaller group, like, but we still brought that same sort of remote year energy to Paris. You know? It was just like, oh. For context, this is a like four day weekend, three or four day weekend trip that we just kind of sporadically decided to do because we have one French guy in the program who wanted to go home while we were in London. And it ended up being me, nine remote year guys. Yes. And one of their female friends from actual life yeah um but we have this picture of me and the nine guys sitting outside a brasserie 
near Notre Dame, like, just having beer and coffee on our walking tour with our Frenchmen. Um, and it was. It was this crazy, amazing weekend. We did drinks. We did tours. We did cathedrals, museums, like, food. We really did everything. And the Euro. And France won the Euro. Oh, right. Uh, I didn't care about that. It was amazing. You yeah. guys. <laughs> oh, it was so much fun. But yeah, I went to the Louvre. I mean, it was just a great time. But that photo is epic. It looks like an album cover. I mean, it just like it just kind of captures like some of the highlights. But yeah, yeah I, I think you're right. I think you have to take, like, I look at moments, like the, mm-hmm. the great moments and the times that we had together. Paris Weekend, Adventure Weekend, Machu Picchu. You know, a lot of people did like the Pablo Polonia. It was like a big thing. Um, just... Just a great time. Singapore for me and a few other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bali for a lot of people. You yeah. Know? And then we have our regular group things that we do that are just like, you know, um, ongoing every month. The farewell parties, welcome events and things like that. But I think, like, I'd be hard-pressed to say, like, I have a favorite place. I just know for myself personally, my personal journey, this month was very, very important. But if I had to pick, like, I mean, there's too many moments, like, that are just epic that were great. And I would not even presume to tell some other person where they should go because everyone wants something different. To me, the biggest takeaway for remote year is being able to go to all of these places and learn more about what it is that I do like in a city. What what do I like in travel and opening myself up to new things? Like I never imagined I was gonna hike the Lars Trail to go to Machu Picchu. Like my original plan was that, oh, I'm just gonna hop on the train, I'll go up here, get on the bus, take a few photos, do the obligatory like selfie and go home. And then I was talked into going and I said yes to a lot of things, like the theme of this year saying yes. And it's one of the best times I've ever had in my life. Like just hiking, yeah, it was it was, it was a bit of a trek, but it was worth it. I mean, the views alone were just amazing, like just stunning. And saying yes to these things has brought me more opportunities and more great experiences this year by just being open and saying you know what yeah normally i don't do that it's like you know what forget that no right i'm doing this it. isn't this, normal yeah. like we've already accepted yeah. the premise of this is not normal so then yeah. what yeah, i'm gonna do it now i'm doing it now yes i'll go yeah yeah i'll eat that sure why not so we'll be on the lookout for new apps coming out from you yes so um the um rewrites are almost finished i've got another one that's probably gonna take a couple of weeks and then after that just new app after new app and are these like apps on a certain theme or they serve certain purposes or you just get excited or you see a need and you make an app and they're very kind of unrelated um, well, no, they're, most of them, like, the, the next few are all related because they're all tying back into TeamSnap. Um, so they have an SDK, and so I think there are some products and some features that don't belong in the TeamSnap app that are useful to parents and or coaches um, and or players. And so I think there's an opportunity to do that. Um, and then, of course, in my uh, movie trivia app game is coming, and... The sole goal, I will say this on your podcast, is that when this thing gets released, I just want to be a guest on Doug Business' Doug Loves Movies because I love that podcast. And the game is based around the games they play on the show, which I also love. And I think <laughs> if people could play it themselves, like if you love movie trivia. I think you're going to have to get yourself on that podcast. Oh, I'm oh I'm working to get myself on that <laughs> podcast. And I think I can win because I'm really good at movie trivia. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's super exciting, and uh, definitely let me know when that's out. I mean, I hope I would hear about it regardless, yeah. but do you want to talk about exactly what you're currently doing or general it, iOS development? It's but the same. 
It doesn't change. Yeah, to give people an idea, what is your, what is your, if you were sitting down to a day of work, Mm -hmm. what is your workflow? What apps are you using? How does that? Great question. Um, So basically, the work starts with planning. So I try to plan out, like whether I'm working on a project for a client, whether I'm working at my job, whether for a company I've done in the past, or working on my own stuff, I tend to do the same thing. And that is, I like to plan out the work. And I'm a big fan of sort of the an agile approach. And that is, I use a tool uh, called Pivotal Tracker. Some people use some other some other tools where I plan out the work in like, uh, scope it out with the story. I break them out in stories, which are like deliverable units. Is this something you learned in school or yourself? Learned it on the job. So like, as I was working in the industry, it, we adopted, like there was a certain style of building software when I first started working in the industry and it changed over time because the old method was like these requirement documents would come down and then you would like you would sign off on these specs and you would do a design document and then you would start building it. And there was no iterative iterative feedback with the clients or whoever's going to use the software. So you could spend I would spend months working on a piece of software and then deliver it. And then it'd be the first time that someone's seen it since they drew up the original requirements doc. Some of the requirements may change. It may not look the way they want it to look, all these things. And so it was just a very, very inefficient way. So the agile method is a lot more smaller. I mean, it's a, it's a smaller cycle where you give a deliverable and you can get feedback. So you iterate that way. Uh, so you can get, you gotta work out the kinks a lot faster. And so I try to work in one or two, two week chunks of work to scope it out. And then I use that, uh, the Pivotal Tracker is basically my project management tool. You know, some people use Jira, some people use some of these other tools, and I've used tons of them. Um, But for me, this one's very simple. It's a simple interface. It's easy for me to create the stories that I need, the work units, and it's easy for me to check them and understand what I'm working on. So that's what I typically work from when I start the day after I have my coffee, Um, maybe read a little bit of news or something. Um, kind of get into the mental flow. I open it up and say, okay, these are the things I'm going to work on today. This is how much work I think I can get done. And then I open up my development environment, which is Xcode on the for iOS development on the Mac. And I may also have like a secondary screen with my iPad or if I have a secondary monitor. Um, I like to read articles sometimes or like if I have a question, I may have to look it up on Stack Overflow or like read somebody's blog post on how to do something or videos. Sometimes I want to like, you know, see. And it also keeps me kind of gives my mind sort of engaged outside of just the tasks that I'm working on at hand. So like a lot of times the article, the videos I'm watching or reading have nothing to do with the actual code I'm writing right now. It's just something that like keeps my lizard brain like occupied, just kind of like, hey, you go think about this while the main thread is like working on the on the work. And I typically do that. I've gotten now to work. I'm not doing the 10 hour days. Like when I was working for the dot com, it was nothing for me to go into work at 7 a.m. and leave at 7 p.m. Like that was just what I did. Um, over time, I've learned to get a little more efficient. And also, I think, feel like it battles the burnout where I typically will work four or five hours a day. And that's it. Like I want to get a good four or five hours of productive work. Now I'm done. Like, I think the more I talk to people, and I think if, if you have a job that's nine to five and you're going into the office, like really, really in an honest, not to your boss's way, write down what you do for a week. Like exactly when you're truly working versus when you're on Facebook, when you're talking to somebody, when you're on iMessage, when you're chatting, when you're at the water cooler, when you're at lunch, when you're getting coffee, like take out all of that and just calculate how many hours you work. If you work four to six hours really working a day, 
that is a ton of work. Like I'm freelance, I'm billing hourly. When I bill 25 hours a week, I was getting a tremendous amount of stuff done. That is me doing a lot. A light week is like five to 10 hours. Um, and people think that sounds insane. They're like, oh, it's so much easier than my 40. And I'm like, really, guys? I've been in offices. Like, you aren't really I, doing 40 hours of work, I promise. I agree. I've worked in offices. I'm, I work in every kind of business. I've worked for large government organizations, Department of Defense. I've worked for small government organizations. I've worked for big corporations. I've worked for small businesses. I've worked for mom and pop shops. I'm a firm believer for years and years and years that you waste a, at least a solid day. You could get the same amount of work done Monday through Thursday and never come in on Friday. Yeah. You just, or you, you have to, you know, like we do now, like, yeah, I might log in and check through things and yeah. take care of stuff, but it's more about checking in on things and making sure that I've moved my yeah. balls forward on the table. Yeah. That maybe only takes a couple hours. Like you don't need that 10 hour, eight hour day necessarily people aren't to doing do that. It. And I talked to like investment bankers and people I know, and half the time they're there till 4am because they had to spend four to 10 PM waiting on something. And then at 10 PM, they're flooded yeah. and like, you know, and it's very like on and off. But when you sit at the desk, I'm at work all day. Yeah. I worked at a big law firm, like a, a really large law firm. And the culture there is that you're there. It's the culture. Yeah. So it's I mean, not the actual work output. Right. It's a culture of saying, you're going to sit at this desk. You're, you're going right. to sit at this desk. Well, I struggled because like we were required to bill so many hours and I only got 30 minutes of daily billable time for administrative tasks. And so I'm like, what am I doing now that I'm going to be able to bill to a particular client? Because right. I'm waiting for someone to do something. Like you said, I'm waiting for someone to do something so that I can then do something. Right. And it became really difficult for me to stay there because like, I had a huge problem with that. Like I just mentally was already having a struggle with the lack of efficiency in that whole process. We could have like, I mean, maybe I should just have entire episodes about this because I, you know, the future of work and how things are going to happen. I don't think there's any reason to say that there will be no more full time and salary jobs. That's not necessarily true. But I also think this idea that every full time job really is a full time job and that you're making some huge sacrifice if you let a parent come back half time or whatever. I'm like, I don't care if you are a lawyer or something. You could do 20 billable hours a week Mm -hmm. and come in for that time and be on the projects you're on and go home. And I really don't think the firm would be losing that much, especially if you didn't have to wait around on stuff and you really only spent the billable hours on what you were doing. And of course, you make a lifestyle adjustment to only getting paid a reasonable rate for 20 hours. Like, that's the other side of the coin. Like, if you're doing that, you're not rolling in the dough necessarily. Good luck convincing the parties at the firm I work for to cut those billable, that, those billable rates were pretty high. <laughs> well, no, but I'm saying, like, you know, if, if you were the employee working less oh, hours yeah, yeah, and, like, you were just doing your efficient hours per week and, like, maybe you're getting less income, but you have more time, you have the flexibility, like, that's the, cut, like, that's the payoff or um, trade-off I've made and what I'm doing is less income, but also way more flexibility in my lifestyle. This is true. Actually, I did make the same, a similar thing. When I left the first company and joined TeamSnap, I actually took a big pay cut. But part of it was just like the innate flexibility of schedule and location that I just went like, and I, I didn't have the same role. Like I didn't have junior developers under me. Sure. So I wasn't having to do some of the same things, but just like that freedom 
was well worth it. Like, I gladly said, oh, you know what? No, I don't need all that salary. Well, and if you opt out of some of the consumer culture and you stop buying stuff all the time because you're at work all day, like, if you spend less money, like, you don't actually need as much as we think we need. Oh, absolutely. Like, everyone's like, i got to make six figures. Like, do you? Yeah, Yeah, that's a tough one there because, like, it, it is hard to walk about. Just full disclosure, it's hard to walk away from a salary like that. Yeah. It was tough because you get used to just... And it, it afforded me the ability to even do this. Like, right. I wasn't, I was fortunate enough that, like, I had one of those jobs and I just saved money. And it's because I lived in a small town. I'd left Atlanta, went to a little small rural town, and I lived incredibly cheaply. Um, and because I just gave up a lot of that whole consumer, like I said, a c- culture. I didn't drive a fancy car. I didn't drive, like, a late model import, you know, which <laughs> you can probably guess what those are. No, you're like a little, you know, seven, eight year old like American car that was like it's not even manufactured anymore <laughs> and just it was really cheap I ate cook at home and you know in small town like you go to get the local breakfast special for two ninety nine or something like that it's just me and my gramps and like you know it was super simple I didn't know there was another level to simplicity until I started doing remote here. <laughs> and, like, Thai simple is even simpler than the country <laughs> I thought was living in rural North Carolina. I'm like, oh, wow. It's like, and it's even less expensive. And it's like, and this has afforded me the chance to take a shot at being an independent developer again, which is one of the reasons why I'm not going back immediately, is that I needed to be able to extend the runway. Like, my dollar goes farther, but I also don't feel the pressure to make something I don't really want to make just because it can make money. Yeah, I mean, I definitely spend more money in some ways on experiences and activities because you're like, oh, it's a once in a lifetime. I got to go get scuba certified. Yeah. Like, okay, I guess I'm spending $330 this weekend. However, like I've bought like 10 new articles of clothing maybe in the 10 months on remote year. I don't shop. I don't do random other stuff. Like, if I have a kitchen, I eat a couple meals out, yeah. like few meals a week, but I also eat at home a lot. Okay. And, you know, it's like you you start restructuring your lifestyle and the way you spend money. And, like, maybe you don't need as much as we think we need. And we have this idea, especially in America, of, yeah. like, you better be earning this much. Like, that's adulthood. That's yes. success. Like, actually, yeah. you might be happier and you might feel better about what you've got. It, it, in a different in a different setup. Yeah, and you can find yourself. I've talked to so many people this year that I know back in the states that keep saying like, "I wish I could do what you're doing." And I'm like, "You can do what I'm doing." Oh but yeah. You've got to let go of a lot of these trappings that you're not willing to let go of. You, it's not like you have like, oh, like I've got this like you know. With kids, it's a little bit different because you know you got to sure. definitely. But I've seen people. This guy's here staying at a resort. He's got a baby on a scooter. It's like you can travel with children. It's a bit different, but my friends who don't have kids who say, oh, I want to travel and stuff. And I'm just like, well, if you let go of some of these material things, like, and you just changed what you value and what you want, you could do this if you wanted to do it. But that's a, that's a huge ask though, when you're culturally like raised up to make these things so important, like, you know, I've got to have this big car and a boat and a house in this particular neighborhood and all these things. And all those things cost. Right. And I don't just mean in terms of Money and time. Money, time, and just like a... Emotional. Yeah, you've got this huge commitment into this psychic like commitment to it that that's your identity. Mm. And that was why it was so important for me to step away from so much stuff because I I believed a lot of it. Like, Mm. I really did buy into it. Even the home ownership. Like, it was drilled into me. Like, you know, you're an adult of a certain age. I was told, 
if you're 30 years old, you're not cutting your own grass. You're doing it wrong. Back immediately, is that I needed to be able to extend the runway, like my dollar goes farther, but I also don't feel the pressure to make something I don't really want to make just because it can make money. Yeah, I mean, I definitely spend more money in some ways on experiences and activities because you're like, oh, it's a once in a lifetime. I got to go get scuba certified. Yeah. Like, okay, I guess I'm spending $330 this weekend. However, like I've bought like 10 new articles of clothing, maybe in the 10 months on remote year. I don't shop. I don't do random other stuff. Like if I have a kitchen, I eat a couple meals out, like few meals a week, but I also eat at home a lot. And you know, it's like you, you start restructuring your lifestyle and the way you spend money. And like, maybe you don't need as much as we think we need. And we have this idea, especially in America of like, you better be earning this much. Like that's adulthood. That's success. Like, actually, you might be happier and you might feel better about what you've got in a different in a different setup. Yeah. And you can find yourself. I've talked to so many people this year that I know back in the States that keep saying, like, I wish I could do what you're doing. And I'm like, you can do what I'm doing. Oh, yeah. You've got to let go of a lot of these trappings that you're not willing to let go of. It's not like you have like. Oh, like I've got this, like, you know, with kids, it's a little bit different because, you know, you got to sure. definitely, but I've seen people, these guys here staying in a resort, got a baby on a scooter. It's like, you can travel with children. It's a bit different, but my friends who don't have kids who say, oh, I want to travel and stuff. And I'm just like, well, if you let go of some of these material things, like, and you just changed what you value and what you want, you could do this if you wanted to do it. But it, that's like, that's a huge ask though, when your culture like raised up to make these things so important like you know i've got to have this big car and a boat and a house in this particular neighborhood and all these things and all those things cost right and i don't just mean in terms of money and time money time and just like a emotional commit yeah you've got this huge commitment into this psychic like commitment to it that that's your identity Mm. and that was why it was so important for me to step away from so much stuff because i i believed a lot of it like, I really did buy into, even the home ownership, like, it was drilled into me. Like, you know, you're an adult of a certain age. I was told, if you're 30 years old, you're not cutting your own grass. You're doing it wrong. Oh, no. And so I left Spain, went back to the States after my 30th birthday and bought a house. And now I'm trying desperately to get rid of that thing because I don't want it. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, I it's not bad. If people want a nine to five, if they want to have three closets worth of clothes and a new dining room set and that is what makes them happy fine but be aware that that's what makes you happy and not doing something like this like know yourself know what is important to you if routine and comforts and having that life is what is important to you absolutely value that do that um but yeah it's all about choices yeah i i I think i i I just find i think for me just finding a different way to map those things i still like those certain things sure yeah but i'm like i have never had more fun than riding the scooter around this island i'm like 12 years old again i got this <laughs> red bike that my grandma bought me i'm just like Wee! i'm just going around just it's so much fun and it's like maybe take an opportunity to try to reconnect maybe don't, okay don't sell all your stuff and leave sure. and travel so take like two take weeks. a two-week trip and rediscover something about yourself yeah, know, something like that, and then you can go back home to all the other stuff. And and if and you want to take a two week trip and you don't think you can afford it, like restructure your habits for a couple yeah. months and see what happens. Yeah. Because yeah. I promise you will find the money. Yeah. Like you track those spending. Yeah. I track every dollar I've ever made and spent for like ten years. Like 
I know where it goes. Yeah, I use Mint. <laughs> and uh, so when I do reports on Mint and see, like, where my money's gone, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, the reports, like, they don't lie. Drill down. I'm like, yeah. at the time, I didn't think I was spending that much money, like, eating out. Like, you're saying, sure. like, I ate out so much. Yeah. And, and it's, it's like so $10 adds yeah. up. $8 can, it doesn't have to be that you're going out. I mean, you, and that's the other hand, like you can have in some of the places we've been to, people have been like, oh, this is a, a top world restaurant. Yeah. This is a top South America. So we're like, okay, I'm going to go spend $150 on dinner tonight. Like yeah. psych myself up to enjoy that meal yeah. and that experience. But $150 on one meal is not so insane if you can spend a few dollars on a lot of other meals. Exactly. Like, it adds up to be the same total for yeah. that week or two weeks. Yeah, especially, like, if you go out, like, breakfast. Like, if you go get fruit, maybe some muesli or granola or something like that, which I tend to do most of the places. Go. Like, I'm spending 2 $3, and I'm eating on that, like, for breakfast all week. Right. You know, and then, so that's my breakfast budget is, like, solid. So now if I want to go get lunch or want to go get dinner, and lately we've been in places that, like, even if I go get that, that's still only 2 bucks or $3 to eat the lunch and the dinner. And like, sure. Well, now I've only spent, I went and looked at my bill, like, and I, at first I got, like, agitated because I'm used to, like, getting, like, tense about spending money. And then I did the conversion, and I went, like, wait a minute, I spent, like, $6 today on food. Like, I ate out. Like all day, I spent six dollars. I'm like, wait a minute, what am I? What am I getting upset about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's remarkable. Other than that, and your Muay Thai, in terms of side projects, I know you have. Well, you had a earlier podcast. You actually have a podcast that you're part of currently. Yes. What? What is that about? So yeah, we started. A buddy of mine, uh, Warren, and I had started a podcast uh, some years ago, the Digital Nomad Podcast, ironically enough. Um, and we tried to make a go of it. We did about ten episodes where we were trying to do an episode from a different location, um, and uh, we just decided it's like it just wasn't working with our schedules and time because he was doing most of the editing. I wasn't doing any editing actually. I just show up and talk like I'm doing now. Uh, but later I met some other developers at the Apple conference, WWDC a few years ago, and I was invited to be a panelist on this, um, iOS developers podcast called iFreaks. And so I've been on that show now for about two years. Um, I'm not on every week, uh, especially now that the difficult thing now with traveling is that because of the time difference, I'm not always able to get somewhere where I can record. So I really have to sort of map out and plan like strategically, like, can I be, in a place where I can record when they're recording. And so I try to pick spots where I feel like I can lend something to the episode. Um, in fact, my last my last episode was in uh, Croatia. So I haven't been on since then. So it's been like six weeks. And it's just an, a podcast talking about iOS. Yes, it's, a, it's specifically focused on iOS development. So we just have guests to talk about everything from technical issues to sort of the business of making apps as well. Um, so a variety of topics, but it's all focused on and the target audience iOS developers, people who are trying to create apps on, or like, Mac, like, or Mac apps. Like newer developers to that, or people who have a lot of experience? Both. Okay. Yeah, we, 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 do deep, we can do deep dives into topics sometimes, but we also do high-level things, you know, like getting started, learning, and we have guests that really sort of, the guests are really what brings the value there because they can speak on their level of expertise in these different areas. And so we've had guests who work for uh, like Khan Academy and things like that. And they can talk about learning languages, learning to develop apps. We have people who can talk about specific frameworks and or alternative ways to build apps even. 
we've had guests to talk about that. It's like, oh, maybe you don't want to use this language. You can use, here's how you can do it in Java. Or here's how you can do it using um, on the uh, Microsoft platform or something like that. So I'm trying to do a little more writing, really trying to kickstart my blog, um, write a little bit more. I never really wanted a true travel blog. I more wanted to address sort of the life of working remotely and working in this, in this day and age and talking about development and or talking about travel and or talking about any other things that are going on. So it's sort of like just kind of a window into my world and my life as I'm traveling and working. So much going on, Alondo. That's life. Gotta, 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 gotta taste all the dishes. It's like being in Kuala Lumpur. Like you gotta, you know, you gotta, this is the yeah, John Allure of life. Yeah. The John Allure of life. It's a street market with a tremendous amount of crazy vendors and literally everything and things you wouldn't even know exactly. are theoretically edible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have two months left of remote year. You're going to keep traveling. Yes. I actually made a decision uh, last month when we were in Kuala Lumpur. I got a one-year visa for Vietnam. Okay. So I will be using Vietnam as my home base and I'll still travel around Southeast Asia, but it'll be a lot slower. I, I don't think I can handle the remote year pace of one country per month after 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 january i, think I know I, I wonder what i want my pace to be like because i think i'm going to keep traveling also and it's hard because there's so many places you want to go that yeah. you want to go more frequently but on the other hand you want to stay longer and one thing i've just kind of tried to make a deal with myself is that i'll plan out a few months like maybe one or two months in a place but then see how it goes because the other thing is not being on remote your means the activities will go down a lot. My social life will go down a lot. Like, in some ways, that may, may make me want to stay in a place longer because I can get to know people and have relationships and activities there that are more local. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, maybe it will make a month feel like a very long time, and then moving every month will seem reasonable because I'm just kind of doing my own thing every day. That's true. It's a good point, man. One of the things I've tried to do this year is when I get to each of these cities, I think about the cities that I've had a good time in, but I also try to think about what my life would be like outside of the group there and the activities that I participate in. And what I found is most of the places that for me personally that work more long term are the larger cities. Right. Um, this place being the one exception, mm -hmm. like most of the smaller places that we've been to, I've enjoyed them for the time that I was there. But I don't think I could stay there like more than, you know, a couple of weeks. But the bigger cities had so much more to offer that I wasn't even able to digest while we were there. I also like now that you're divorced from the idea of like long term, it can just be like, what weather do I want? Yes. Like, I'll go here for six months in the sweet spot yeah. and then I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, whatever your sweet spot is for weather in a place. But. Uh, that is another factor that's really interesting is becoming very like seasonal in your world travels and you know everyone's nauseous i get it i get it so like if you aren't able to like or don't have a desire to travel the world like the united states is still a pretty cool place you might it's a wanna, big country yeah, so there's big a lot going on places there. there so it's worth checking out too that's where i started my like remote work and travels was in the u.s because i didn't it wasn't really a plan i didn't know i was going to do it long term it was it was just something i kind of got into and tested out and at first it just it only made sense to travel in the states and visit friends and family and that's just how i picked okay i'll go see you here yeah. you have a couch yes exactly <laughs> and like and that like really makes it affordable and you find cheap flights and you go where you have somewhere to stay and see if you can do it i yeah i think it, i think it can be done it's definitely i mean the affordability is 
if you have friends and family places you can say definitely can help make it a lot more affordable but the united states is huge and it's beautiful and it's definitely worth checking out i'm looking forward to seeing more places i've only been to maybe 30 of the states so i still have 20 more to go when they get back yeah i think i think um i do want to stay abroad for a bit but i also would like to go back and really consciously make an itinerary to explore more of the U.S. and to explore cities I don't know people and I haven't been and and see all these places you know like Portland and whatever that I have heard about it's like well what is the fuss like yeah. that's that's just as important to see and know as Barcelona you know but we don't study abroad necessarily yeah. in like the other <laughs> side of the country but and as we know <laughs> as we know America is a very diverse place and oh, yeah. you are gonna study abroad yeah. all over. Since Alondo and I recorded this interview in Thailand, he's continued on his adventure and is currently in month 21 of traveling, finally breaking the 30-country barrier and visiting his fifth continent. He's discovered that the one-country-per-month pace is working quite well after all. Appreciative of the benefits of travel and the new perspective it's provided, he is working on the release of Anew, a daily gratitude journal app for iOS, macOS, and Android. You can subscribe to the Modern Work Podcast newsletter on our website to be notified about new episodes and updates on our interviewees, like when Alondo's new app, Anew, has been released. For more information, please go to our website at modernworkpodcast.com. This is a passion project that is self-funded with support by listeners and friends via Patreon. Visit modernworkpodcast.com to learn more about how to contribute. Thank you for listening and please share.